When I was a kid and I was growing up in, uh, in the church, um, I, uh, I didn't hear a lot about the Holy Spirit. And uh, to, to be honest with you, I was a little bit uh, afraid of people that did like the Holy Spirit, which is a problem because he's part of God, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's not good. But I, as, I, as I grew up, I, uh, I didn't know a lot about the Holy Spirit. I, uh, I felt like Christianity was, was fake in so many ways. I felt like so much of what happened within Christianity was just put on and not real. It wasn't authentic. And so I uh, was growing up and I was in youth group. And so my thing was... I was the, the, the pastor's kid. My dad was a preacher, and, and, uh, and so I was the pastor's kid, and so it was fun to be bad. I was one of those typical preacher's kids, and so uh, I would try to, and I'm, I, was, I was a tool of Satan. I, I just want you to know that, and so, um, and, uh, and whatnot. Just like my children are tools of Satan sometimes as well, um, it's, uh, but I love them. Um, but we do need to cast demons out occasionally. But, um, but I was also uh, a, a child who, you know, I was trying to get people into sin. And so I'd go to youth group and then, you know, I'd, I'd be like, dude, let's, let's go get plastered. And so I'd try to get as many kids out of the youth ministry. We're going to try to keep that from happening here um, as much as possible. We'd go out and get a, a fifth of Jack Daniels, which, which I don't know why I drank that stuff, but it's just nasty um, but went out, got a, I remember one particular night, went out, got somebody to buy us a fifth of Jack Daniels, uh, and tried to get all of my Christian friends wasted. Great Christian witness there. And so, uh, but that was, that was my life. That's what I lived for. I lived for, for, for being bad. But somehow, like through my life, I was always like in this place where I, I, I felt like I knew that there was a God, but there was... In, in some respect, I could not get myself there. I couldn't get myself to this point where I believed in this God or even acted in the way that he wanted me to. And there's this authenticity piece that was just like, I, I just, I couldn't quite figure out the authenticity of being uh, a, a Christian. And so uh, as I'm, I'm growing up, this, this question is hanging over my head and I, I can't quite figure it out. And so I, uh, later on in life, I'm, I'm early 20s, somewhere in there, and it's just this nagging question of do I, do I follow God or do I go the route that I know of, uh, that, that other people have gone, which is uh, live for myself, do what I want, make something of myself, all of those things, and feel like I'm living authentically in that respect, which... Uh, I knew, though, because I knew other people that have lived this way, and I knew that it was destructive. I knew that it was destructive to my life, and so I was like, I could not get past this idea of, is there a God, and how should I follow him? And if I'm going to follow him, how do I do this authentically in a way that says, like, this is real in my life and, and makes a difference, not just in me, but in other people, because as I said, I just saw so much inauthenticity, not, not so much in, you know, my, my family so much, but just in life. 
just kind of sitting there cynically. And so I, I have, I've told you before, if you've been here for any amount of time, where God really got a hold of my life was, was uh, when I went on a, on a mission trip. And so I, I go on this mission trip, and really the first section of this trip was like a training and this exercise that, um, that we, you know, we were out in the middle of this hay field. And I remember sitting there in a worship time much like this. And thinking to myself, I'm not going to participate in this unless I feel like it. And I'm, I'm not going to engage with this idea of Christianity unless I actually feel like I want to do that. And so I'm, I'm very much saying I want to feel this way. That's if I feel that way, then I'll act in this way. But I'm not doing that unless I feel this. And uh, so one day, this, uh, the, the, the lead of this a mission organization called Rain Ministries said from the front, he said, you know, if you don't know how to spend time with God, I will sit down with you and I will show you how to spend time with God. And so I was like, <laughs> oddly enough, that it never really happened to me before. And so I said, okay, what, what's this look like? Let's see what this guy does. And so I took him up on his offer. We, we sat in the hay field. And uh, I, I sat there, and I was like, what's going to happen right now? Like, what's he going to do? Is there going to be a seance, candles? You know, what, what's, what's happening here? And he just sat there, and he read his Bible, and he just talked out loud to God. And he said, God, I, I wonder what that means for my life. Lord, I wonder if, if, you're, if you're telling me that this is what you want to see me do. And I, it brings tears to my eyes when I think about it because this guy, I think he just turned 80. And his daughter contacted me this last week, and I was just reminded of it just this last week. And, and she, had, she said, uh, will you write something to, to talk about Louis? His name is Louis Inks. And, and just because we're celebrating him, his, his life and ministry, and you know, he's turning 80 and, and so forth. And so um, I was thinking through that experience, and I was thinking, and, and what I said to him was, that was like somebody fired um, the, the starting gun at the beginning of a race because ever since that moment sitting with you and like experiencing like this authenticity of like, man, this guy really means what he's saying. He really means what he's doing. And it changed my life. It changed uh, who I was. And I, w I was telling my wife this morning, like, um, I, I, I don't get the Holy Spirit. I, I don't get who he is. I, I'm, I'm really being raw right now because your, your, your pastor's telling you that one member of the Trinity uh, uh, that is God, like I don't get entirely and I don't understand it fully and yet I feel like I've walked in him for so many years because since that moment it was like I didn't care who heard the gospel and who didn't, and who received Jesus Christ as Savior, and who didn't. And all of a sudden, I'm walking around trying to share the gospel with people in, in, in really a bad way. But the, the truth is that God seared something in my mind on that trip. I remember I was in Scotland, and I was sharing the gospel with this young man who apparently was in a gang or something like that. And he said, I don't want any part of it because my friends will make fun of me or something like that. I remember walking away just heartbroken like, this guy does it, isn't going to know Jesus. And so I'm heartbroken and I'm like, I've never felt that way before. 
That's never happened to me. Like, that's never been the case. And ever since then, I've been walking in this way that's like, like I, I can't explain it entirely. And so you fast forward a little ways. So I'm a little bit further into my 20s, and I have this picture that God puts in my mind, I believe now, at like 2 o'clock in the morning of me standing on a stage, a maroon stage, preaching the gospel. And I was, and I'm at maroon, the color maroon, and I'm, and I'm going, it's so weird because it was specific. And I was like, God, I don't know what that is. I've never spoken before. And in reality, um, here I am, a, a young, brash man uh, who I've never been to school. I mean, I've been to high school. I didn't really go much. I was getting high. That's another thing I was doing. And so I, this was who I was. And yet I'm seeing this picture of Matt standing on a stage preaching to people. And I was like, that is so crazy. And yet I wanted it. And I was like, okay. So 10 years later, I have this, I have this desire to, to start a church along with so many other people. And the reason why I'm, I'm doing that is because I saw a generation. And if you look around and you look in this room, you go, this is perhaps a different generation than is typically a part of uh, your local church. Every time I talk to people that come here, like, man, I'm so surprised at the generation of people that are here or how many of them you have. And so I have this vision of this, and it was impressed upon me, like, this has to happen. Like, this must take place. And I was like, God, I don't know who's going to do it. I know you kind of gave me this thought a while ago, maybe a vision, but God, I don't, I don't know that I'm the guy. And I'm, and I'm still sitting there, and I'm going, God, I just don't know. I don't know. And I'm having this internal struggle that's just going, I'm not sure that I'm that dude. I'm, I'm an idiot. I just, I just don't have anything good to say I don't write papers well. I don't write well. I, I, I'm not that smart, right? And I'm, and I'm, those are the thoughts that are going through my head. And yet I, I felt so strongly that God was saying, this church must start here. That I was like, I, the only thing I could say was, okay, what do I have to lose? I already feel like an idiot. <laughs> no problem, look like an, an idiot a little bit more. But I said, God, if, if you're going to do this, that's my only hope. It's my only hope. I, I can't start a church on my own. I can't do it by myself. And of course, there's perhaps hundreds of people that have served alongside of me and have really been such an incredible encouragement in, in all of this, but I can't do it alone. And when, when I started the church, I, I, I started uh, by leading worship. I was primarily a worship leader, and there was another guy who was teaching. He's still a good friend of mine, Paul Diaz. And then he left, and it was all on me to teach, and I was like, God, I'm so bad. And it really was. If you were there, like, you would be like, Matt, that was horrible. Like, those were really bad sermons. <laughs> and yet somehow, I, I, I think most people probably should have quit. And, I, <laughs> and I, I didn't. But God somehow was 
had his hand on me, and not that my sermons are great today, but I'm just telling you that although I, I haven't given a ton of thought to, who, to what aspect of God is speaking to me and in me and through me, it is the Holy Spirit, God himself, I believe, that enables me. And without his enablement, I could not be here standing and speaking to you today. And what I want to say to you today is that although there has, has been misuse of the idea of the Holy Spirit throughout the years in various churches, and on TV you see the Holy Spirit and emotionalism and craziness sometimes take place in churches and defaming the name of God and misusing what they call the Holy Spirit so many times. I cannot say enough about how detestable that is. Because it, it, is, it is blasphemy against God to misuse him in that way. However, we do not need less of the Holy Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. That goes for the person who is a Christian and who is here, sitting here today. And in some ways, some of you are sitting here and you're in your own power, walking as a Christian. And you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to be a part of that. I, I don't have anything to offer. And I would just say, you don't, perhaps, but God does. And the best place that you could possibly be today is in a place of saying, I don't have much to offer. Because that is when God says, now we're ready. Now we can use you because now you're in the place where you are fully able to be used by me. And so what this looks like for you is, it, is it's, there, there's nothing crazy that needs to happen other than God himself being realized in your life and you taking a step forward, listening to God in the way that I sat with Louis Inks in a hayfield saying, God, what are you saying to me? God, are, how are you speaking to me? Taking that word that you hear from the word of God, and if God says something to you, it should always be confirmed by the word of God and other solid believers who affirm that you got the word of God right and that you got the word of God right and that you got the word of God right and that as a result, they're saying, yes, we see God leading you into that. So Christian people need to be aware of the fact that God does move and he does work and he does enact in our lives and he empowers us to live for him and by him and through him. But here's the other thing that you need to realize. If you're sitting on the sidelines and you're, you're on, on the outside, you're, you're looking in and you're saying, I'm somebody who's never really had relationship with God. And or I'm, I'm here and I'm investigating and I'm trying to understand what that means. What you need to know is this, is that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, is the one who changes your mind. He's the one who draws you to himself. And when you say, and when, 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 and if you say, I want to know more about God, and I want, I want this understanding, that understanding does not come from you. That desire does not come from you. 
Otherwise, you could take credit for your relationship with God, for your desire to walk with him. No, it comes from the Holy Spirit. As I told you in my story, there's no reason why I should have wanted God. There's no reason why I should have wanted to walk with him. If I told you my whole story, you would say, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here, Matt. If you knew the stuff that I know about the underbelly of the church, if you knew, like there's no reason why I should be here. The Holy Spirit is the one who has come and empowered Matt Porter to be here. I have no ability on my own to speak to you. I, I come every week to the Word of God as somebody who feels absolutely inadequate, and my only hope is in, is in the Holy Spirit to speak, and in the, the Holy Spirit to move. And if your life, and if your ministry isn't, isn't motivated by that, then you've, you've missed it. You've missed it. So if you're somebody here as I was saying, who's sitting on the sidelines and you're saying, I just, I don't know about that. You, if you have a desire there, that's God, that's God moving. Take advantage of that and say, God, okay, what do you want from me? Take a step. Take a step towards Jesus. Take a step. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. I've said all of that to bring us to another place. I don't even know if we'll entirely get to the passage that I'm here to preach on today. So uh, we are potentially uh, going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, but I just I, I want to show you this in John, John 14 and, and so on. Jesus, toward the end of his ministry, he's, he's teaching and he's, he's speaking to his disciples. And I, I want you to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, uh, John chapter 14, verse, uh, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, uh, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, look at how, how important it is that, uh, that we have the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't, do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying it will be better for you if the Holy Spirit, if, if I go away, because that's when I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And so you've got to have the Holy Spirit. Look at how important Jesus says it is that we have the Holy Spirit. John uh, 16, verse uh, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but what whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, uh, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We could uh, go on towards the end of, uh, or at the end of the book of, or the gospel of Luke. Jesus says, wait here for the Holy Spirit. Wait right here. 
And when he comes, this is what's going to take place. And then uh, in Acts chapter 2, we see the results of the results of that. I marked this somewhere here. Acts chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost. So Jesus goes, he says, I want you to wait here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The day of Pentecost comes, and this crazy experience happens. These tongues come down from the sky, and they land on each person. Tongues of fire. It's, it's this crazy vision. And it, what is, it is exemplifying is this, is that the Holy Spirit has come, and he's resting on these believers. And then these believers come out of the upper room, and what happens is they're speaking in other languages. And so there's people from all over the world who are in Jerusalem at that time, and what's happening is that they're hearing the gospel in their own language. And so as one commentator pointed out, in, uh, at the Tower of Babel, man tries to be uh, um, uh, important and big without God by building this, this tower. God confuses their languages so they can't continue to build it. Now we come into Acts, and Acts does this. God gives everyone the ability to speak these languages. Everyone's hearing the gospel. And so what this is pointing out is God is saying, now you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to go to the nations, to the people who, not, who do not believe. And so people are hearing them speak, and they're saying, dude, you guys are drunk. And Peter very humor, humorously says, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. How could we be drunk? And so if you'd caught me a little later in the day, that might be true, right? Uh, <laughs> and so what's happening is that they're, they're speaking these tongues, and then Peter stands up and he gives this sermon that is absolutely mind-blowing, and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus through this guy who denied Jesus. And um, you look at his life and you say, how could God use Peter? He uses Peter through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we fast forward to today. And you look at our, our churches. And you got two sides to it. You got some... Some, which people would call the frozen chosen. These are people who don't move a muscle in worship. They just kind of sit there. They have a particular theological view. And as a result, there's really no power. There's no action. They're waiting on God to do whatever he's going to do. But there's no action. There's no active participation on their part. But then you go to the other side and you've got these, uh, what some people have termed charismaniacs, Right? And it's, it's just craziness. You have these church services where, you know, occasionally on the, on the far extremes, they've got snakes and, because they, they read a, a passage of Scripture and, and think, oh, we should have snakes in the service. And, you know, if we get bitten, we won't die. That's from uh, the Gospel of Mark. But uh, they're, they're misreading that. And then there's other things, like there's people, you know, there's just craziness. There's chaos, and it's all over the place, and people are just going nuts, and so you got these people who really are theologically sound, and yet they're not theologically sound because there's no movement, not just physical movement, but they're just not doing anything. And then you have this other extreme, which they completely misuse Scripture, and yet they're all over the place. They're, all, they're, they're talking about the Holy Spirit. They, they think that he is the only member of the Trinity, 
and it's just absolute craziness. And so what happens sometimes is that churches like ours avoid the reality of the Holy Spirit. I'll be the first to admit, that is kind of me. And so what do we need? We need uh, corrective words on that. But what's happening in the, in the church in Corinth is that this church, is, it's an early church, it's a new church. And so they have grasped onto the reality of the Holy Spirit, and it's nuts. It's just chaos. It's all over the place. And so they're trying to determine for themselves what they should and should not be doing. And so Paul is correcting some things in their thought process. And so let me bring this sermon to you that's beginning now. Might be a long Sunday. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I hope you weren't hoping to get back to the, the game. Is there a game today? I don't really care. So, uh, a captive audience here. Let me uh, let me start at the end, chapter fourteen, verse forty. And and by the way, if you're a gal here or somebody who is who's really familiar and and in. <laughs> 2017, you're going to be totally offended today. I'm going to try to back off that and, uh, and help, help us understand. So just, just be ready. Just understand. I'm going to explain it, and we'll get there. But verse 40 says this, but all things should be done decently and in order. That's Paul's main point. Things should be done decently and in order. There should be order within the context of the church. So part of what I want to say to you today is this is that if you're somebody and you leave this church and you go somewhere else and you're like, this is craziness, but it totally feels like the Spirit is here, but there's chaos everywhere, you're in the wrong church. You're in a church that, is, that, that there's craziness going on. They're not actually reading the Scriptures. They don't understand that. You need to be out of that church. You need to be into another church that has order, and yet they still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. All things should be done decently and in order. So here we go. From the top... What's happening here is that there are seven questions that the Apostle Paul is answering in regards to how the Holy Spirit should be functioning within our churches. So there's seven questions that he answers. When you read uh, uh, the scriptures, especially the epistles, they are two churches. So it's to the church in Corinth. It's, it's to the church in Thessalonica or to Galatia or, or Ephesus. These are letters to churches. And so this is a letter to a church. And so when Paul says, don't do this, what we know is that that has been happening. So he, what, when he says, don't do this, what we know is that there's craziness that's been going on there. That's how we know. And so what he's doing is he's either responding to a letter, because sometimes he references, I'm writing you back and I'm answering your question that you asked me or whatever, or he's responding to reports that he has heard from that church, from people that have come from there. And so what he says is here in uh, chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love. Let's just stop right there for a second. Pursue love. What did he just say in chapter 13? He said, you could have all of the gifts of the Spirit. You could be totally empowered. But if you're a jerk, you're still a jerk. And none of those uh, spiritual gifts matter at all. 
because you don't get the very first thing, which is loving one another. So the first thing that you and I need to understand is this, is that our propensity is always to take a spiritual gift and say, I, now I'm above you because I have this gift, or, or somehow to, to exercise your gift in a way that says, I am most important here, and to not be loving towards other people. Happens all the time, every single one of us, because we are all people who struggle with sin, every single one of us has the same problem. So the very first thing that you and I need to understand is that we need love in the context of this. So he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Stop right there for a second. Speaking in a tongue, as I explained, is another language. At times, it could be, although we're not sure, it could be uh, also, I think there are people probably in this room that believe that tongues is a, like a, a, a language from out of this world. It's just between them and God, they're speaking to God, and, and so they're, they're, they're talking to him. It's something that uh, perhaps God gives them. I, I don't know much about it because I've never done it. I'll just be honest with that. So let's just say this. So tongues is another language either in this world or out of this world. Prophecy is this. It's not just future-telling it's not just fortune-telling. It can include that. Prophets from the Old Testament did this. But prophecy is for the purpose of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. It is like preaching. In fact, it may, in fact, some people who have the gift of prophecy are preachers. However, I don't think that they're necessarily exactly the same thing. But they are for the purpose of building others up for encouraging them, and for consolation. And obviously, we also know from the Old Testament, if you're familiar with that, that prophecy is often to call out sin and to say, hey, there is sin in the camp. There is stuff that's going on here that needs to be corrected. And so that's what prophecy is. So he says in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. And so the question that the Apostle Paul is asking here is he says, what is the goal in using spiritual gifts within a church gathering? When you come to a church gathering, what should the goal behind us using the spiritual gifts be? Whether it's a church gathering, in the life of the church, whatever it is. It doesn't necessarily just mean prophecy or tongues. Those two gifts were their issue. They could be other gifts that would be our issue today. So he says, what's the goal? What's the goal in using these things? What should be happening here? And so he answers that question by saying the goal of spiritual gifts in the context of the church is the upbuilding, is, the, the, is to build up the group as a whole. It, that is the purpose of the spiritual gifts, is that. Let's move on to the second passage here. Question number two, why is speaking in tongues not as beneficial as prophesying? Verse 6, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? 
So he's saying, like, when a spiritual gift is used in the context of the gathering of the church, it needs to bring with it some type of reality, some revelation. People need to hear something, to see something, to understand something. So revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching. He says in verse 7, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So he's answering this question. Why is speaking in tongues not as beneficial as prophesying? He says when tongues are used, and he's going to add later, without interpretation, no one can understand what is being said. However, prophecy typically brings this revelation, this knowledge, this prophecy, you know, whatever it is, it brings something to the table, and, and so people can understand, they can hear. And so the picture that we're seeing here is that these people are going crazy. It's just pandemonium. It's charismania. They are all about the spiritual gifts, and people are, are, are shouting and talking, and they're, and they're, they're uh, yelling, and they're speaking in these tongues, and so... The Apostle Paul says that this is crazy. No one can understand what's actually happening. So this is a correction and saying that you should not be allowing this in the context of the church. All aspects of a church service should be understandable to everyone present. So question number three, what is the balance between spiritual experience and intellectual understanding? Verse 13 Therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If you're speaking in a tongue in the church gathering, it should be interpreted. This is what does not happen often within the context of churches that practice these things. That's why many churches have stayed away from those things. And so, or if there is interpretation, sometimes this person's babbling, this person is making stuff up on the spot. It's just, it's hard to tell what's actually happening there. So he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So the Apostle Paul, he's acknowledging that when somebody uses these, uh, these tongues that are brought about by the Holy Spirit, like their spirit is praying. There is some spiritual value. However, it's just for that person. It's not for everybody else. It's just for that person. They're being built up. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words with a tongue. So what we have a balance here of is this, is that we have two different types of people going on. We have these people who are really into intellectual understanding. These are theology nerds. 
These are people who are who oftentimes are the, the frozen chosen. These are the people who are very stiff in service. These are people who criticize. Oh, I, I didn't think you got that theological point just right. You know, you should have done it. You know, that, that type of person. So you've got these people who are really into intellectual understanding. And then you have these people who are really into spiritual experience. Like if you came from a church that is just incredibly uh, dry and there's not a lot of movement, there's not a lot of experience, you may be drawn to churches that are like, dude, these people are having a crazy time. Like people are falling down and all this. And it's, it's just nuts because it's totally different. But what's happened in that is that the pendulum has swung from intellectual understanding all the way over to this experience. And so Christian people so often get stuck in this mix of like, you know, which, which should it be? Should it be spiritual experience or should it be intellectual understanding? But here's the issue that needs to be looked at is this, is that when we have bad theology, what happens is this, is that we are worshiping incorrectly. And then as a result, what happens is this, is that our lives are not reflective of the true God that we are walking with. So what has to happen in the context of the church and within all of us is this, is that our theology has to be correct. Our theology has to be correct. And then as a result, what needs to take place is that it erupts into doxology, which is worship. It's praise. It's glorifying God. So we've got great theology that is propelling us into doxology. And then as a result, what happens is that our orthopraxy, how we're acting, what we do, how we're living, changes as a result. So when I'm sitting and I'm saying as a young man, like, I don't know how to experience God. I want to experience him. What was happening is this, is, this, is that there was no new information that was coming into my mind. I didn't feel like worshiping God. I didn't feel like praising him because what was not happening was that there was not legitimate input going into my life and causing me to be excited, causing me to erupt in worship. Now, let me just say this. Like, you rarely just decide that you're really happy about something without there being new information. You don't just erupt Enjoy. What happens is this, is that some new news comes to you. Like maybe you did your taxes and all of a sudden you got money back and you're like, yeah, Disney, here we come. Or whatever you're going to do. New TV, got my taxes back. What, what's that based on? It's praise, it's worship of our government, although that rarely happens, right? Uh, it, it is praise of the tax code um, that is leading, it's, it's, it's information from that that's leading you to worship, and as a result, you make a change, and you say, now I'm going to spend some dollar bills, y'all, right? You're excited about this, and so you change the way that you do something because new information came into your life, and what Paul is saying is the exact same thing. He's saying, I want you to worship with your spirit, but I want you to also worship with your mind. 
And real worship does not take place until your mind has been changed, till new information comes into your mind. And so as a young man, I remember where I was driving. It was right down here, right next to the park, and I heard the first time a new version of the wonderful cross. And I remember where I was at when I heard that song, and, and it goes into uh, the chorus, oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross. And I was sitting, and I began to tear up, and I began to just go, oh, my goodness, the, the cross is wonderful. The cross is incredible. And then when you really get into the words that say, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, oh, and it, it just, it be, it, it's warming my heart right now as I'm just, I'm going, oh, this is so good. It's so amazing. It's so incredible that what's happening is, is I'm going from this theological information that's taking place and it's being sung into my heart. And as a result, what's happening is that my life is changing. I'm erupting in doxology. And as a result, what takes place is I say, it is true. The Bible is true. He really did go to the cross for me. It really does change my life. It really, really makes a difference. Paul is saying that spiritual experience without this new information, without the theological, it's just craziness. It's just chaos. So what we do here at Outward is that we try to sing songs all the time that are going to make you leave singing the theology of Jesus, of the scriptures, to make you leave singing the gospel, to, to, to affirm to you what God is doing in your life, to affirm to you that he is real. And so... The, the first song that came to my mind as I was studying for this was, because that, that, that right there just gets me. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Oh, and I, oh man, just, it, it makes me just say, man, that's what I want in my life. That's, 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 what I, that's what I need in my life, that my only hope can be in Jesus. I was driving down the road yesterday. I was coming down here to finish up some stuff on, on my, my sermon, and I was, I, was, I was stressed. And if I'm honest, what I was stressed about is I was, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this or that, and there's financial concerns with, my, with uh, re remodeling my house, and it's just man, you just don't have all the money in the world. And so you're just kind of saying, okay, what, what do we need to do here? And God, what are you leading us into? And I, I could sense in my spirit that I was tense. I was tense. And I was, and, I was, and I was just overwhelmed with it. And so I began to say, like, I have to get to a point as a believer where, like, having Jesus is better than having a million dollars. Like, because if I had a million, like, it would just be like, yeah, we'll take that. Yeah, we'll do that. 
Give us the top-of-the-line HVAC system. Give us, like, there would be nothing that I couldn't buy, and I would be able to do that, but I'm sitting here, and I'm stressed, and I'm saying, like, I am, am just in turmoil on the inside, and what I have to say is that when I have Jesus, he's better than a million dollars, he's better than a hundred thousand dollars, he's better than anything that I could have. And so right now in this moment, the theology of Jesus is this, is that my worship erupts out of just saying, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust my bank account, but I wholly lean on his, on his name. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings this about. And he affirms to us. And so I began to pray in those moments, God, I want to view you as better than anything that I could have. I want you to be the one that is secure in my mind as being the only one who provides my security. That, it, 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 that in the end, it wouldn't matter if I lost it. It wouldn't matter if, if things fell apart. It wouldn't matter what takes place, guys and gals, do you see this? Don't you see that having Jesus is better than anything else? And the Holy Spirit is the one who's working in us to draw us to himself. And as I began to pray, I was like, God, I just want you to change my mind right now. God can't do that if he's not in me and working in me to change my, my thought processes, my mind. That's, oh, we, we, could, we could stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize a couple of things here. Question four, specifically, why is prophecy better than tongues. In verses 20 through 25, what he essentially says is this, is that when uh, tongues come about, people that come into the service aren't going to hear what's happening here. They're not going to understand. They don't get to hear the gospel. And so he references an Old Testament passage that's confusing. I'll just summarize it for you. And he references this passage, and he essentially says that in the Old Testament, when Israel was hearing other languages, it meant that they were being judged because they're in captivity with some other nation. And so tongues, in that sense, is not a good thing. And in the same sense, it works with these people that perhaps could be Christians but aren't going to become Christians, Christians because the Christians in this church gathering are just talking in ways that nobody can understand. And so somebody who's seeking Jesus can't hear him, can't understand him, and it's basically judgment on him. But, he says, let's read the last bit, 24, but if uh, all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters. He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And what is he saying here? He's saying that when somebody comes into your gathering and prophecy 
really happens. There's wisdom. There's revelation. The, the person who's teaching is preaching about something that they're dealing with. I don't know how many times I hear this all the time. You, people come in and they, and they go, they come up to me after the service and they say, you're not going to believe this. And really, I would because I know God. And so they say, you're not going to believe this. But I came in here and I was dealing with that exact same thing and you dealt with it. And I was just like, man, that guy must know where my life is because of what's happening here. And that's not the case. You know who knows what's, what you're going through? It's the Holy Spirit of God. And he's, he's working through the person who's teaching in whatever church that is. And when it's understandable and when it is of God, there are people in the room who are just being uh, torn asunder. And just their heart is laid raw. And they go, no, really, I am somebody who needs Jesus. No, really, I am somebody that needs the power of God in my life. No, really, I am somebody that has to have God in my life. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And all of a sudden you just go, man, I see something in my life that is just out of control. Like, I've been doing this and I... <laughs> Excuse me. I've been doing this and I know that it's wrong and I know that I have this incredible problem. And what's happening is it's conviction. It's the Holy Spirit pointing in your life and saying, Do you see this thing in your life? This is an example of, this is not the only thing, but this is an example of how you and I are separated. And all of a sudden, what's brought to reality in your life. Is, is the fact that you're separated from God. When Jesus is really speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit into your life, that's what's happening. And the only thing that I can say to you is, I don't know. I didn't know what was going on in your life. I saw your Facebook and I assumed, but I... Uh... Just kidding. I don't know what's going on in your life. But Jesus does. And when the Holy Spirit speaks and he brings about revelation, it's, it's incredible. And so he says, people are going to think you're crazy if you're speaking in tongues. And so he gives some direction on how should spiritual gifts be approached in verses 26 through 33. And he ends with this by saying, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Just remember that. When you're in a church and, and, and you're just going, there's just massive confusion here. You need to understand when you go, this, there's just consistently, there's confusion on the word, there's confusion on people. There are people who are arguing and fighting, and I can't tell which end is up. That is confusion, and that is not of God. Question uh, number six deals with how should women participate in the church gathering in first century Corinth? Okay, so this is the part that I said was going to really offend you, and I've got like a minute to deal with it. So um, that's a lie. I'm going to go longer, but um, uh, let, let me just read it for you just so we can just confront it head on. A couple weeks ago, same thing happened, um, you know, and in, uh, in, in chapter 11, and, and basically 
if you heard that, you know, maybe your fears had been allayed at that point, but uh, here it is again. We don't just talk about this stuff because we want to talk about it because it's in the Word, and here it is again. So verse 33, uh, probably middle of 33, as in uh, all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. He's referring to the Old Testament, probably in Genesis, but we're not sure. Verse 35, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Hold on. Um, just wait till you pass judgment. Uh, a couple things. Uh, one, People are very uh, split on exactly what this means and why he's saying it. Because back in chapter 11, he has said that women are prophesying and praying in the services. And he says that they, that they should have their head covered. And so clearly they are speaking in the service in a very meaningful way. And so, but then here he's saying, but they should keep silent. So there's a couple of options here. And a, and a couple of clarifications. One option is this, is that Paul is saying there should be a difference between uh, the, the women who are speaking up front and, uh, and then the women who are uh, just in, in the pew. And so he's saying that, that these people who are, who are praying or prophesying uh, as, as women, uh, should, uh, that's totally legitimate, but then these people here should continue to follow the customs of our day and essentially, as one commentator points out, he says this, in all likelihood, what was uppermost in his mind was the lax moral state of Corinth and the feeling that nothing, absolutely nothing must be done which would bring upon the infant church the faintest suspicion of immodesty. So something in their society was bringing women to be forward, perhaps. They're kind of out there in, in a way that seemed immodest. And so Paul is saying, we want to stay so far away from immodesty that we want to follow cultural customs, conservative customs in these ways, and so we should follow those things. So it is a cultural concern. Now, historically speaking, an author by the name of Plutarch uh, says that the virtuous woman ought to be modest and guarded about saying anything in the hearing of outsiders. Again, a woman ought to do her talking either to her husband or through her husband. So that's a non-Christian source. So what we're saying is this. Culturally, that here, here's the, the standards that they were following. Paul is saying, I want you to continue to follow those cultural standards. And then also, but women also have a place in the church and that they should be utilizing their gifts. So what we can say about this is that there is little to apply from that section right there because Paul is talking about cultural concerns. So we need to be very careful about how we communicate that. What needs to be communicated in our church today is this. Ladies, you have dignity, worth, and value that comes from God. It doesn't even come because I say so. It because it, it's because it comes from God. The Holy Spirit inhabits and enables your Christian life in the same way that he uh, inhabits and enables my Christian life. So you are worthy to utilize your giftings within the context of the church. And so what our goal is this. Uh, we, we have a, um, a retreat coming up with our elders 
And one of the things that I want us to talk about is how are we doing in inviting our, our women to come forward and to say, I, I want to participate in this because my understanding is this, is that many of our gals have been so afraid that we would say, no girls, no girls allowed. This is the He-Man Woman Haters Club. And so you should not be able to use your gifting and so what we're saying is this, is that that's not the case. I keep thinking that women who have particular giftings are going to present themselves in the way that men do, and I need to get over that, and I actually need to pursue our, 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 our gals. We need to, as a leadership team, and say, we want to see how God is going to use you. And so if you've been sitting on the sidelines and saying, I want to be used, but I just feel like Pastor Matt, or somebody would come out and say, hey, didn't you read 2 Corinthians? And... Um, and whatever else, and that's not the case. And so we want you to know that you're valued. This is a cultural thing that the Apostle Paul is speaking to here. And I will wrap up very briefly with this, and that is uh, verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And so what, what the Apostle Paul wraps up there with is, is essentially this. We can look at the word sometimes and we can say, I'm going to say what this means. I'm, I'm going to make this, I'm, I'm going to determine this. That's what this church was doing. So what I want to ask you today is, are you somebody who's essentially saying, yeah, it's of me. I'm, I'm going to determine what's being said here. I'm going to say what, what's happening. Or are you going to let the word of God speak into your life and to actually oppose you at times? Because that is the mark of a believer who has the Holy Spirit is somebody who says, in my, in my heart, I don't agree with this, but in my spirit, what I'm sensing is that God is encouraging me toward loving him. Jesus went to the cross and he lived a perfect life and he died the death that you and I should have died. And then he returns and he ascends and in, in that ascension he gives us the Holy Spirit and so what we can be eternally grateful for this morning is the fact that Jesus went to the cross to enable our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and so I want to encourage you this morning that as we sing these songs about the cross and about what God has done for us that you just allow the gospel to be present in your mind as you worship out of that reality let's do that this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, we're praying that, that you would allow us to, um, to accept what you have to say. Lord, for those that are here that struggle deeply with these issues uh, in, in the scriptures regarding women, and Lord, I know that there are many uh, that are here because of just for... Uh, any number of reasons. And so, Lord, those are understandable things. Lord, those are, those are issues that, um, that just take grace and time. And so, Lord, we're just praying for uh, those gals. Lord, I'm praying for us as, as leadership here at church, the elders. Lord, that you would enable us 
to understand what's happening here, Lord, to graciously respond uh, to, to those issues. But Lord, uh, more importantly, this morning, we're just asking that you would affirm to us your gospel through the power of your spirit, that you do that this morning, and Lord, that, that we would just erupt in our lives and the way that we live um, as a result of what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray, amen.